what's your title? That's the question just we'll start off with. Um, we all have lots of titles. Um, uh, one or two titles has to do with what you do for a living, right? You know, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, that was what we said when I was growing up. Um, now, you know, if you went to Purdue, you're an engineer, right? Or, uh, you know, worship minister or whatever my title's going to be. I don't know. Um, uh, whatever your title is now, but a lot of titles go along with relationships, right? So titles like friend or partner or daughter, son, dad, mom, grandmother, grandfather, in my case, poppy. Even titles like Christian have to do with relationships, both with Christ and the church. Relationships are important. Every lasting relationship has one thing in common, and that is love. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. Friends must love each other through thick and through thin. If you only show love through the good times, you're not loving the way that God wants you to. Um, I call it building up change. You remember change, you know that stuff that you used to carry around in your pocket, you could actually buy stuff with it? Um, building up change in a relationship though, is, is not something you do with money, it's something that you would do with character, right? So um, uh, you would build up enough change over time so that when you actually had a flaw in your character, people knew you well enough that I understand that flaw, and I forgive you because I know your character. The problem occurs is when you haven't built up enough change in your relationship before your character flaw, or that you simply run out of change that you've stored up, which means that your character isn't what we thought it was in the first place. Your friend's ability to forgive is tested by your judgment or lack thereof. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. If someone raises their voice to me, right or wrong, my first inclination is to match their tone. Now, Instead of calming the situation, I have entered into an argument. People tend to handle conflict in predictable patterns. Some people withdraw while others explode. Some people leak their emotions through passive aggression. None of these methods strengthens relationships. Handling differences with a cool head can preserve a relationship instead of driving a wedge between the two, which takes us to Proverbs 27, 17, one that we use a lot. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 
Now this takes trust, honesty, and love. Finding someone you trust to speak the truth in love is really difficult. But when you do, the result is worth it. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Let's face it, we are imperfect. We will let down even those that we love the most. Have you ever laid awake at night going over a conversation that you had earlier in the day, hearing yourself say what you wish you would have said in an earlier argument to win that argument and also putting somebody in their place at the same time? I have. But dwelling on the wrongs and refusing to let them go can cause anger and division. Forgiveness is hard, but it is the only way to nurture a relationship. All of these relationships that we've talked about, friends and sons and daughters and grandfathers and all that stuff, all of these relationships are important. All of them require love. But none of them are as important as the relationship of a husband and a wife. And today, we are going to be talking a lot about marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. And love, true love, Sorry, I was dared. And if you haven't seen Princess Bride, go watch it. Um, hey, by the way, these boxers are going to be out there today. Happy Valentine's Day um, this week. Um, marriage boxes are going to be out in the foyer. So those of you who are in this institution, make sure that you pick one of these up out there um, to take home with you this week. And enjoy that. But we are going to be talking about marriage this week. Not all of you are married, um, but all of you know someone who is married. And I dare say all of you um, know someone who is or will be at some point in marital strife. So um, take this information, put it in your pocket, and hold on to it. And someday it will be of use if it's not today. If you have your Bibles, please take them out and turn to Ephesians 5.21 through 31. And if you will, stand for the reading of God's word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now before we go on, I want to re-emphasize that one Line, okay, because that's going to be very important. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, for the two will become one flesh. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Boy, this, this passage gets a lot of conversation, doesn't it? According to the dictionary, the word submissive means a willingness to be controlled by other people. Many people view, view any form of submissiveness as strictly a negative sense that pits one person in authority against another person who merely yields to the authoritarian. That is not the Bible's meaning of submissiveness. When the Bible instructs Christian women to submit yourselves to your own husbands, there is a context that removes anything that might be demeaning, degrading, or insulting to women. That instruction follows this command that God gave to Christian men and women. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It follows also Christian women are to submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. How the Christian church submits to Christ is the pattern for Christian women interacting with their husbands. Author James F. Polk asked Christian wives to explain what that pattern looks like in their marriages. Here are five examples. Look for ways to encourage your husbands in private and public to build him up. Number two, a submissive wife in a Christian marriage is a supportive wife. You work together with your spouse and respect and support him in your marriage. Number three, within a Christian marriage, a wife freely expresses her thoughts, trusting her husband's response will lovingly support her and look out for her best interest. Number four, a Christian wife happily submits to her Christian husband because she knows every decision he makes will be done selflessly for her happiness and the good of their marriage. Number five, although my sinful pride can get in the way at times, it is hard not to agree with the authority of my husband as he demonstrates love for me in everyday life. To provide balance, Pope also asked husbands for their response to the same question. We have three examples. Number one, she serves the Lord before she serves me. Number two, because people are different, that submission on the part of wives will look different from one marriage to another. And number three, 1 Corinthians 13 describes the kind of love 
husbands are to have for their wives. That last comment puts the instructions of wives submitting to their husbands in the proper context. While wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just as Christ is the pattern for a wife's relationship to her husband, so Christ is the pattern for a husband's relationship with his wife. Husbands are to love their wives with sacrificial love. It is a loving leader that a Christian wife submits to. In other words, gentlemen, if you ever want to quote Ephesians 5.24, asking your wife to submit, please read on and note that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And that everything he did, everything he did was for the church. He was totally selfless and gave himself up for her. And that wasn't just on the cross. That was throughout his whole life and ministry. Now we mentioned 1 Corinthians 13 and let's read that together, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You know, when I, I heard the term modern love was going to be the title of this sermon series, it made me a little nervous. After all, modern love takes on different meanings to different people. And you can't watch television or watch movies without some version of modern love shown on the screen. And since I am talking about Christian marriage, I would be remiss if I didn't say something about 
modern love and Christian marriage. Now, I have had conversations um, with people on this subject, and I will tell you that Christian marriage is between one man and one woman. And though I have had conversations with people who have different views than I do, um, they would explain it this way. As, as had a friend who explained it this way. Love is love, is love is love, is love. And that's really how he explained it to me. And I can't argue with that. And it even sounds biblical, right? Um, love is our greatest command. It is also our most important core value. And to be honest, there are men that I love there are men that I could live with. That's called a roommate. In Scripture, it's plain that there are men that Jesus loved. John even describes himself as the one that Jesus loved. And though that I can agree that love is love, is love, is love, is love, I am certain that love and sex do not have the same meaning. And if we go back to our text and look at Ephesians 5.31, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this goes beyond the normal relationship. One flesh, a man and his wife, united. No other relationship is described this way because no other relationship is set up this way. It is by design. It is God's design. Okay. Cheryl and I got married in 1980, and for the first 11 years, I was a husband. I wasn't a great husband, but I was a husband. I wasn't a bad husband. I just didn't really know how. Now, 11 years later, um, my church started giving classes, and I started taking classes, and um, I started seeing some things that I was missing. And then I got competitive. I not only started getting better, I wanted to be the best. Enter... Enter things like the five love languages. How many of you have, have gone through the five love languages? So let's, let's, let's do some of those for just a minute. Okay. So now understand first that we all need all five love languages. Okay? And if you're having trouble finding out what your wife's love language or your husband's love language is, then whatever language that they're using to show you love, that's probably what their primary love language is. But let's start with number one, and that is words of affirmation. This is kind words. This is um, words of love. This is uh, words of, anyway. Uh, to me, this was the easy one because this is one of mine. Uh, I do this to everyone. 
you know, if you can say something nice and you can say it in public, um, why not say it? Anything, say something nice. I was in an AT&T store recently and uh, we were being helped by um, a black man with beautiful green eyes. And why not tell him? And I did. And he said, thank you. I will tell my mother you said so. <laughs> you know, sometimes I turn and I look at my wife and I think how beautiful she is. So I tell her. Why not tell her? Why not tell her when the meal is wonderful? Why not tell her when she sounds really good when she's, she's singing a song? Why not tell her when she's doing a great job at the soundboard? Why not tell her when the, the food that she makes is, is wonderful, you know? Um, tell her when she smells good. I don't, I don't care what it is. Just tell her. Tell him, ladies. Tell him when he's doing something that, that, that you appreciate. Whatever it is, if it's something that you can say that's nice, say it. Words of appreciation, words of affirmation. Number two is quality time. Now, this has gotten even harder since this book was written because back then, you just didn't sit down with the television and, and think that you're spending quality time. Now, you've got to do it and not sit with this. Right? Because with this, um, the whole world thinks you're at their beck and call 24 hours a day. You got to put these down and, and not let somebody bother you. So, no television, no phones, and you actually sit and talk to each other. Find out what's been hard today, find out what made them laugh today. Now, you might get this out. Because what made them laugh today was something you saw in this. Show them, then put it back down. Talk to them. Spend some quality time together. It's important. Receiving gifts, that's number three. Now this sounds a little scary, right? Because that gets expensive. It doesn't have to be diamonds and rubies, okay? Um, it can be a note. Uh, it can be wildflowers if they're not allergic. Be, um, be careful, all right? Um, I, I once put um, balloons around the house, and uh, I put times on, on each balloon, like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know, things like that. And each balloon had a note in it. And so at 11 o'clock, Cheryl would pop a balloon, and that balloon would have a, a note in it telling her, either giving her instructions or just a love note in it. Just, just a, a little gift, something unexpected, something she didn't have before. It may have been something that says, you know, hey, get the kids ready because the sitter's going to come and pick them up in a half an hour. Give them a gift. Number four. This was something I had to really work on because this is my wife's number one. Acts of service. You want to know how I had to learn to love my wife? Get out the vacuum cleaner. It wasn't hard. Uh, it's just I had to get off my and do it. 
you know? Or I had to use her number two um, uh, love language, words of affirmation, and tell her how great the meal was. Tell her to go sit down while I go in the kitchen and clean up. That's showing my wife that I love her. The last of these is called physical touch. Every guy thinks his love language is physical touch. It's not. Um, excuse my frankness for just a moment, but physical touch goes way beyond foreplay or intercourse, okay? This is wanting to hold hands in the car. This is wanting to brush by each other in the kitchen. This is, this is wanting to have a hug when you come home. This is, this is far beyond arousal. This is comfort. So if, this, if your love language is physical touch, this is something that just shows love. These are things that that you can immediately show love to your spouse as soon as you learn their language. Another thing I learned in one of my classes was just how important it was how Cheryl and I worked together. We took this personality test together and it showed uh, how Cheryl and I worked together. See, guys are fix-it people. We're not the brightest of beasts. Um, we want to fix things. And after a while, we see these flaws in our wife and we think that we can fix them. The problem is, is we're drawn to her because of her makeup, the way that she's, she works. Um, when I saw her personality and my personality, the way that it works together, my strengths and her strengths were totally different. My weaknesses and her weaknesses were totally different. She made up for my weaknesses and I made up for hers and in ways that were just phenomenal. And I have given this test to couple after couple after couple and it is amazing how God puts us together and we are drawn to people that just fill in our gaps. And because of this, I have made it a regular occurrence to remind myself of everything that Cheryl is to me. All her beauty, all her strengths, all the reasons that there is to love her. And to this day, when she walks into a room, I can fall in love with her all over again. But you know what? I also know that this works in reverse. If you are constantly reminding yourself of all the things that bother you about your spouse, even the little things, when you see them enter the room, you will grow more and more discontented until you can hardly stand to look at them. Instead, think of the last time they loved you well and love them well in return because love is reciprocal. There's a story of a woman who planned on divorcing her husband. He spent more time out with his friends than he did with her. And she told her friend and lawyer 
of her plan and asked how she could make the divorce hurt him the most. Her advice was this. Treat him as though you were once again in love with him, like you were in the beginning. Dote on him. Really make him believe it. Then in six months, tell him you want a divorce. It will crush him. The woman loved the idea. She knew she could pull it off. From that moment on, she set her plan into motion. She made him his favorite meals. She put love notes in his soup pockets, met him at the door with hugs and kisses, offered, him, offered herself physically whenever possible. Her husband's reaction was reciprocal. He started spending more of his time at home, tending to his wife's every desire. They would play games together, listen to music, even dance on occasion. They would talk late into the night, holding hands until finally settling in for the night. Six months later, the woman's lawyer called to find out if the plan worked. Better than I ever imagined, the woman said, but not in the way I expected. What changed, the lawyer asked. We did the woman said. You want another way to learn about how to really love someone? Watch Hallmark movies. Okay, so that's only kind of true. No, you're not going to fall in love over a weekend. Not going to happen. It is true, though, that you can really mess things up by not communicating. You just want to shout at the TV sometimes, tell him, tell her. Sometimes you would think they would change that formula, but no, they don't. Communication is the most important thing that you've got in your relationship. Talk. You know, there is one time in my history as a minister that I've refused to marry a couple, and it's because they just hadn't really talked there was not enough communication in that relationship to marry them. Five years later, they did get married, and they're still together today, but um, at that point in time, it just wasn't there. Sometimes you can learn something really good from a Hallmark movie, though. Probably the most important thing you'll learn is saying I'm sorry can change everything. Now there's one other thing I'd like to show you. This is something I do with uh, premarital counseling. We stack things up wrong. We do it a lot. If you look at these boxes, um, G stands for God, S for spouse, E stands for everything else, and C stands for children. If you stack things up properly, life really goes fairly well. When I think of E, a lot of times this stands for Goals, your job, addictions, friends. And a lot of people try to put these things at the base of their relationship. And it kind of covers everything else. 
if you start with that, everything else is doomed. So let's take that off the bottom right away. What goes on the bottom? Okay. Good. If we start with God, that's our firm foundation, right? We know that's going to happen. What's next? Spouse? Good. Good answer. Okay. Why not, kids? I'm sorry? Okay. If we... If we do this... Unfortunately, I, I see this a lot in relationships. And right about 20 to 25 years into the marriage, when the child moves away, you wonder why that divorce happened at 20 to 25 years. But if we set it up properly, and we put our spouse in, and then we put our children in, and then we put our job, our friends, my riding lawnmower, fun things like that. We've got a way to build a happy life. God's always the foundation. We can lose things. Often we lose things. But this is the right way to build them.